Welcome to the Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis LA and Dublin. Hosted by Paul Holdengraber, this series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing. Hello. Hello, could I please speak with Saul Williams? Saul, this is Paul Holdengraber calling you. Thank you so much for taking this call, for being part of the the first week of the quarantine tapes. I'm I'm really delighted. Uh, it's a pleasure, Paul. It's a pleasure to speak to you. It's a pleasure to speak to you. And I want to start, um, if I could, with a line that I think matters to you greatly, and I'd love you to unpack it for us. It's a line, <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that makes you laugh, or at least smile. You, you say when Fela Kuti said that music is a weapon of the future, we're aware of what we're building, the weapon of the future. What do you think he meant, and what does it mean more importantly for you? Well, music travels without a passport. You know, it uh, has the ability to touch people even in ways and places that may be hidden to themselves. Um, so not only does it travel across borders with a passport, without a passport, but it also can travel within each and every one of us who have the opportunity to, to listen and to seek out ourselves or just moments of enjoyment or relaxation um, through music. Um, it affects us. And it has an effect. Um, and as an artist um, and as a musician, I, I believe strongly in the power of music to connect, to harmonize, um, to to illuminate and, and and highlight, you know, instances and emotions in in spiritual and psychological depth, and even in inebriation and in losing ourselves. Um, and finding ourselves through it, it's, uh, it, it carries it carries an algorithm that uh, supersedes many algorithms um, in its ability to to reach and connect us. Um, it's something that we uh, we often hot times have very little problem agreeing on, although we may not agree on the particularities who our favorite artist is or how we're touched by something or whether we believe something when we hear it or not. Um, but there are certain musicians and certain ways in which music is undeniable and, um, and even in transcending generations and even in transcending like lyrical messages. Sometimes it's just the feeling, the vibe, um, the wave. Um, it's, it's, it carries something of import. And I think that Fela is also speaking to the fact that it carries something that can charge us, that can um, invigorate us and, and remind us of our 
ourselves and of our power and the power of democracy and of our voices and of end up speaking up and marching, you know, like it's the role that music has always played in connection to protest uh, is, is undeniable um, in the same way that has always played a role in relation to work and group labor, and what have you. Um, it motivates and energizes. And when used strategically, um, I think it can also be used to, to at least explore the destruction of a prevailing system. You used the word democracy, and um, democracy and Fela talks about it projecting into the future. And yes. the, the, the combination of, of, of both of these thoughts uh, seem to me tremendously important. You have just come back, as I understand it, from Rwanda. And I'm wondering, yes. I'm wondering um, well, first of all, you, you might tell our listeners what you were doing there. And also this virus, which is now really global. And I've never lived yes. anything in my lifetime that has been global. I've lived tragedies and I've lived like ever, any anybody who's over 30 years old now. We've, we've had conflicts that we know are, are pretty damning, but this is of a different nature. And I'm wondering Indeed. if you can bring us news from, from Rwanda, perhaps first news of what you were doing there, and then news on how this this um, this virus is being lived there. Sure. Well, I um, had been in Rwanda since uh, early November. Um, I was there to direct my first feature, Neptune Frost. You know, we had an entire uh, Rwandan and Burundian cast and crew. Um, and it was a pretty, uh, pretty big production for an independent film, um, uh, particularly for a country that, um, I guess, made its first forays into the, the cinematic universe um, as late as like 2004. Um, so the cinema industry is, is, you know, new in Rwanda. And so even in being able to acquire uh, film gear and camera gear and lights and what have you, things would either have to be imported or constructed. And we opted to, um, to construct, to construct our dolly there, to construct uh, cinema lighting. We found a led factory there and, and brought in some ideas about what we could construct. We found engineers that we worked with because we wanted to be able to leave something behind for, uh, other filmmakers, other Rwandan filmmakers who are up and coming to have materials to work with because for, most films that have been done there recently, everything has either come in from uh, Europe or, or Kenya, uh, you know, or, or something like that, or South Africa. But there's there's no cinema industry there. There's no cinema rental industry there, which is what we operate with, you know, in the States, in Canada, when we're making films, we usually rent that equipment. Um, so, um, so, yeah, we wrapped Neptune Frost on March 3rd. Uh, that film is it's it's a sci-fi musical, um, and uh, it was an adventure of an experience. It sounds like um, a sci-fi musical. Oh my goodness. goodness! I mean, I've been working. On, <laughs> I, I, I can't working. wait. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Is and, is, um, is Octavia Butler in the background anywhere? 
<laughs> Octavia Butler is always in the background, right. particularly in the background of this pandemic. I know. And it's a uh, very parable of the sower, like, uh, Goodness me. feeling that I have in my gut, you know, surrounding being in California right now, and, uh, being in lockdown. I think she um, set it in 2025. So we're very close. Yep. We are very close. Um, so that's what I was doing there. Um, so we wrapped on the third. On the seventh, um, I had an invitation to a premiere in Kigali, that's the capital of Rwanda, uh, for a film uh, that's just come out called Petit Pays, Little Country, um, written by a rapper turned writer um, named Gael Fai about his experience uh, in Bujumbura in, in Burundi. Um, during the, the genocide of 1994 and, and what have you, um, the experience of him and his family. And uh, his book won the Gangko, um, uh, I think in 2016, and it's been turned into a film. So we went to the premiere. And that was our first time out of the house after wrapping the film. And when we got to the premiere, there were people in lab coats there with uh, little machines that looked like little white plastic guns that they pointed at our heads saying you need to take your temperature. They were wearing masks and gloves. And in order to enter the theater, they had to take everybody's temperature and ask questions in relation to the virus. So that's on March 7th in Kigali. So that's when we were first like, holy crap, what is happening? I mean, we were aware of what was happening in the news um, and, and what have you. Um, but to, to encounter that when you leave the house, you know, dressed up for a premiere, it was startling to say the least. Um, so it's been eight days since I've been, since I've gotten back uh, to the States. And so what I can tell you is that one, the day before I left, I had to uh, do some final like banking and what happened in Kigali. And I remember going to the bank and everyone in the bank was wearing masks and gloves. And I, and I remember thinking like it's, it's a bank of surgeons. Like it, it just, it was so strange. <laughs> it, was so, it was so strange. And then we were like, shoot, you know, we heard about the shortages here. And so we, our, our final stop before we left Kigali was actually to pharmacies there to get gloves and masks for our plane ride. Um, and, and so we did that and, um, and, and hopped on the plane. Um, well, not so easy. One, entering the airport in Kidali, once again, we had our temperatures taken, um, a series of questions asked and what have you. Um, then we were able to get through security. That was the first layer of security before, you know, being allowed on the plane. When we changed planes in Istanbul, they were, they were waiting for us as we exited the plane once again um, to take our temperatures and ask us questions, whether we had been exposed to people, blah, 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 blah. Because we had been in Rwanda since November, um, you know, we were pretty much in a zone that hadn't been affected too much. Um, at that time, I think there was only one case in Rwanda. Um, uh, now there are 40. Um, and so from Istanbul, we flew to L.A. And when we landed in L.A., um, no one took our temperature. We did have a few questions asked. Um, you know, that pretty much bottlenecked our, our exiting the plane. Um, but we were amazed at how little we had to do entering the U.S. versus how much we had done before we got here. 
And so that's my first point of observation was that the immediate response of countries like Rwanda and Turkey um, seem to have doctors in preparation mode at the airport, like, yo, what's up? How are you feeling? What's your temperature? And all this stuff. And when we got to California just last Tuesday, um, it was it was not the case. You've spent a lot of time traveling the world and um, yeah. placing and displacing your family in different parts of the world so that they can experience the world in a from afar, looking perhaps yeah. at looking perhaps at the U.S. Uh, uh, from from the perspective of being, let us say, in Paris. And I'm wondering yeah. if you think that this virus will further insulate the world, uh, will make us uh, maybe maybe less connected. Yesterday I had the, the pleasure of speaking with Pico Aya, and um, he, he once uh, said that when Graham Greene was asked near the end of his life why he traveled, Greene simply responded by saying, ambiguity. I, I, would, I would hope, and, and so now, of course, I'm saying hope, so I, I, of yeah. course there's no certainty in my response, but um, this is truly a global pandemic, um, which is what makes the disingenuous sort of response of, of our of our president here and 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 of the riot and wanting to hurry up and get back to work when the entire world is on pause, when the entire world is taking this seriously. Like before we left Rwanda, school had been cancelled. All group gatherings by more than ten people had been restricted. Uh, church had been restricted. Um, all of this stuff happened before we left Rwanda in Rwanda. Um and now, of course, they, they've restricted groups higher than two together there. Um, and all, you know, they're on complete lockdown, just as we are here. Um, as they are in the UK, as they are, you know, in so many countries around the world. Um, which is to say that the world is taking this seriously. And, um, and it's understandable why, why it is and why it should be that way. Um, forgive me, I'm hearing a truck outside. I it's, think it's, it's okay. That, this, is, this, is, this is what, you know, Proust spoke about, the poetry of the phone call. Uh, I, 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 I get to live in your environment for a moment. You do. So Just th for that, a moment. Th that's yeah. a good thing. We're, we're, we're finding new forms of conviviality. The phone, it's so interesting, isn't it? It used to be so exotic. And now, yeah. now we want to hear, you know, the, the grain of the voice. We want to hear other people. People speak. Uh, yeah, it means something. Yeah, it means, it something. means something. You know, yeah. we, we can't touch each other, but we still need to be in contact. You were saying that you you were hopeful. You were hopeful that... Uh, ah, that, that in terms of our connection, yeah. will, will it make us more insular? Um, well, you know, the, the United States has a special relationship to itself. Um, part of the yeah. reason <laughs> this usually in, in psychoanalytical terms it has a, a, a name right it's a kind of a, a form of heightened narcissism it is okay it is and and of course that that idea is propagated by um, those who would you know essentially profit. dumb down the populace and 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 profit from from that process 
Um, and so we're told that we're the greatest and we're the best and that we have the best. And, and, you know, a pandemic like this kind of illuminates the fact that there are other places that are better prepared, that have, you know, greater concern for their citizenry, that, that you know, think more in terms of, you know, um, safety and health, you know, on a regular basis and, and, and not just corporations, you know, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a crazy time. So we are empowered by looking out of this country right. and applying right. it to what we see here. We are empowered by that. As Americans here, we are extremely empowered by that outward gaze because then we can you know, gain some clarity on what we're being told and what we're experiencing versus what we learn of other experiences in other places with other GDPs and and other priorities um, in terms of uh, leadership, right? Um, So that's crucial. And yes, um, I've chosen to, you know, make sure that my children and and family, um, well, I mean, have, you know, it's not not simply a choice, it's reality. You know, um, my wife is not born in in the U.S., Um, we met in Paris. Um, we, we, uh, you know, we, we, we have a, a relationship to the globe that's inherent in our relationship. But on top of that, I know uh, personally, I was informed uh, by very much so by the fact that I was an exchange student when I was 16, uh, living in Brazil um, for a year, a year that when I arrived, school was on strike. Um, so I didn't go to school that year that I was an exchange student. School was on strike. And um, and on top of that, I was told that uh, I would be going to night school because anybody 16 and over would be expected to work in the fields during the day. Um, and so as a young hip-hop head coming from New York, arriving in Brazil, um, and being told night school because you're supposed to work in the fields during the day, I was like, what? it definitely opened my eyes to the fact that we weren't all operating in the same way globally. And, uh, and it's the first time that I started looking at the, the distinctions to be made between the way some of us experience the world versus how others experience the world. And from then on, I decided to just keep it moving and to, to, uh, you know, as you said, to to heighten that amb- ambiguity, to, yeah. to to find a way to um, to see and understand as much as possible, to witness as much as possible. I remember being in conversation a year or so ago um, with someone from Vietnam, and and uh, somehow the the what we referred to as the Vietnam War came up, and and I saw this look of confusion on their face. They were like, "What are you talking?" Do you mean the American War? And, and, and I learned that in Vietnam, of course, they don't refer to it as the Vietnam War; they refer to it as the American War. You but know, we grow up hearing. <laughs> you know, you 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 mentioned keep keep keeping things moving, and 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 moving also as you did to to France. And of course, uh, the name that comes up in my mind immediately in that context is James Baldwin, who, who um, in an essay called The Discovery of What It Means to Be an American, wrote, once I was able to accept my role as distinguished, I must say, from my place 
in the extraordinary drama which is America, I was released from the illusion that I hated America. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a loaded statement. And, and, um, and James Baldwin is someone that we all you know, admire and, and look up to. He moved to Paris when he was 24 years old um, from Harlem. And, um, and immediately, you know, um, his, his outlook on, on the world and, and on the idea and reality of blackness and, and being African-American uh, versus being African or Northern African or Arab in Paris, um, which has its distinctions. Um, there, there's a lot to see, a lot to understand. And yes, there are things, many things to admire um, in, in relation to, I mean, when I say that, I think of the African-American experience. I think of the indigenous experience. I think of the the art forms and 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 critical forms that were born um, here um, as a result of white supremacy, as a result of uh, the colonial and imperialistic charm of of you know those who hold the reins um, held. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot to to. Acknowledge. I, mean, I remember my first time um, on the continent of Africa um, in 1994 um, when my mother was, was an exchange teacher when I was in college and she was teaching in the Gambia for a year and my graduation gift um, was to go spend her final month on the continent with her um, from college. And so I, I, I flew uh, to Senegal and then to the Gambia and we traveled together throughout uh, Senegal, the Gambia and Mali. And, um, and one of the, uh, the interesting things was that, you know, I remember at that time, you know, we were all, we had already gone from like being like well, colored and Afro-American and black to, to African-American. That was the popular term. Then. And, uh, and, and then suddenly I'm, I'm spending time on the continent. And one of the thoughts that came to mind was, is it fair to say that I'm African American or am I more American African? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just yeah. the slight distinction was, was like, ah, oh, you know, like they were. We, we, we're, we're seeing the, the shock doctrine in action in so many ways. And I'm wondering yeah. how can artists, whether they be poet, musicians, writers, filmmakers, use such a shock doctrine? In, in a positive way to raise collective consciousness? It, you know, there's a layer to your question that, that I do not completely accept. Good. Um, because I would say, I think it's important for them to use it in a useful way, in a useful way. And I would not tie useful to positive because I think of electricity and current and the role of the positive the negative and the neutral. Quite right. You know, um, yeah. And, and so... I, I um, stand corrected. <laughs> let, let me stand up. I'm, I'm going to stand up just for a second. Okay, I'm sitting down again. Okay, but you stood correct. I, I st um, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I I think that, you know, it has to be useful. Yeah. It has to be useful. What do you mean by that? And and so by, well, useful can be many things and, and can come about in many ways. And so, you know, when I think of Nina Simone talking about an artist speaking to the times, yeah. an artist speaking to their time, um, I think that there is nothing but that to do, but to utilize this, as you put it, you know, this shock doctrine, this, this, this thing that, that's been illuminated through what we're all experiencing here together and to make sense of it and to help us make sense of it and to help us utilize it to make sense of, of what we elect and, and, and what we put in control and who we put in control and, and, and how we process information and all of these things, you know, like, uh, you know, art, it can be used to, 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 to facilitate, you know, the digestive process, like, like, like papaya enzymes, you know, um, it's, 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 it can be used for that. And, um, and meaning that it, it can help us make sense of something, help us make sense of something. And I think we need help sometimes making sense or connecting dots, connecting worlds, connecting ideologies, connecting what we felt but didn't know how to articulate with what we're witnessing and, and hearing articulated, um, especially when there's a distinction to be made between the two. Um, art is there for that and can be there for that. You know, I'm, I'm someone who, who is excited about the role of art being utilized as something greater than simply for escape. Simply for, you know? for, for entertainment. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, especially when I'm entertained by things other than escape. Right. You know, I'm, I'm entertained by people speaking truth to power, you know. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm moved and motivated by it. I'm like, yeah, it's exciting. It's, exci it. it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. And to, for people to articulate what is difficult. Yeah. And it's, and it's more than exciting, it's necessary. It's necessary for people to be called out to their faces at times. It's necessary for utilize, to utilize the public space in unexpected ways to, to, to call things to attention and to call and point things out. It's necessary. And, and, and at times I think it's the highest art or, or can correlate with the highest art. Um, and so it's... Uh, so when you ask me how can artists do that, um, my simple response is pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention. Just, just pay attention, just, not only to the outside, but to what you're feeling and, 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 and interrogate yourself and the moment. I think what Arthur Miller said so briefly remains so true, which is attention must be paid. Or, you know, Simone Weil's wonderful comment where she said that attention is a form of prayer. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes, it yes, is. yes. 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 Um, it is. Saul, can you can you leave us with some some of your spoken word? Uh, I was thinking in particular uh, the virus, which I just recently read and which is extraordinary. Mm. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to read it, and I wouldn't want to recite it. I would want you to do that for us. Right. Um, if you would. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind at all. Um, you know, you're, you're referencing a, a song that I recorded with a beautiful group uh, out of Canada um, called A Tribe Called Red. 
um, and they make magnificent electronic uh, music. They are, um, of course, you know, first first nation um, electronic musicians, and and we collaborated on um, on an album of theirs uh, called Hallucination, and um, and on a song called The Virus, and that song begins. Uh, with me saying the virus took on many shapes, the bear, the elk, the antelope, the elephant, the deer, the mineral, the iron, the copper, the colton, the rubber, the coffee, the cotton, the sugar, the people. The germ traveled faster than the bullet. And I'll leave it at that. Well, the, the last line, of course, is tremendous in the context we're speaking in yeah. now the the, predic the predicament we find ourselves so I can't thank you enough it's such a it's such yeah. a such a pleasure to speak to you and given that we both now for the moment live in the city when we can get together let's do that maybe let's yeah. let's take a walk six feet apart <laughs> that would be wonderful and good morning to everyone listening and, and I hope everyone has safe days indoors um I mean, yeah, I think this is something we should take seriously and uh, and use this moment graciously to, to reset and reboot our priorities. So love to, to you and to everyone listening. Thank you. Saul, thank you so much. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. To support this show and Dub Labs progressive programming, Go to dublab.com slash support 